Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where my guest tells me the five things that they've chosen from any time in their life to put into a time capsule. They must pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to put in there and forget. My guest in this episode is Stuart Goldsmith. Stuart is an English actor, stand-up comedian and former street performer. He's presented the Comedian's Comedian podcast since 2012. That's quite a long time, where in each episode he interviews a comedian about how they approach their profession and asks them in depth about how they do it and how they cope with the challenges of a creative life. But he doesn't ask them how much they earn, which I think is a shame. Anyway, on it, he's spoken with over 350 comedians. People like Jimmy Carr, James A. Caster, Stuart Lee, Sarah Millican, Sindhu V and Russell Howard. Now, Stuart began in street theatre, where he walked along a tightrope eating a packet of crisps. Yes, he lives dangerously. Under the name of Beautiful Stew, he came second in the Street Performance World Championships in 2008. Stuart has been on TV around the world in such shows as Alan Davis's As Yet Untitled and Russell Howard's Comedy Central in the UK, the stand-up show in Canada and the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Gala in... I don't know where Melbourne is. Anyway, he's performed multiple times at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, the Edinburgh Festival, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the New Zealand International Comedy Festival, and he's also one of the very few UK comics to have been invited to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. He's performed at Wembley Arena and as far afield as Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore and even Tamworth, which is a lot further than you think when you're coming home from Tamworth after a bad show. Finally, Stuart is the regular studio warm-up comic for The Graham Norton Show on the BBC, which he says is even more fun than it sounds. I bet it is. 
As you'll hear from this podcast, Stuart is preparing his Edinburgh show for 2023, which he'll be performing at the Monkey Barrel in Edinburgh through most of August. There are links in the description of this episode, and I can't recommend Stuart highly enough. As he says himself, he's adept at saying the unsayable in exactly the right tone. As you'll discover now, here is the time capsule of Stuart Goldsmith. Nice to meet you. It's very lovely to meet you. I love your stuff. I really do. Thank you so much. I loved your stand-up show that you had on there. I Need You Alive. I Need You Alive. Yeah. Very good. Very funny. Yes. Well, yeah. thank you. I'm I'm staggered that you know about it. You're, you're Michael Fenton-Stevens off of KYTV. And that's, that's it. A... Like, I really remember watching that with my mum as a kid. Oh, not really? as a kid. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not as a kid. But as, a, you know, in my 20s, I guess. I don't know when it was on. But um, I really remember it. And I remember you from it. And when you got in touch, I was like, <laughs> What? So oh, it's like no, that's you know what I mean. I, I think I'm used to now as a as a comic performer myself. You get into the world of meeting other performers and you meet exciting people that you watched and listened yeah. to when you were a kid. And and then it, there's a sort of less nice period where that kind of goes away and you're like, oh, it's all just sort of normalised now. Mm-hmm. And then a blast from the past like yourself uh, comes along. And I'm like, because because I identified with your work as a, or I kind of engaged with your work when I was yeah, probably late teens, early 20s. Yeah. It's kind of meaningful to me. I'm having a little bit of a, oh my God, you're talking to me through the screen. Very exciting. <laughs> you're not going, oh my God, look how you've aged. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've, uh, you've aged quite, um, what's the phrase? Gracefully. Gracefully. Thank you very much. Much nicely put. Plus, you have a lovely your bit just for the benefit of the listener, mm. um, people who haven't seen Michael Fenton Stevens for too long. Um, it, you have a beard that reminds me of um, Captain Barnacles from the Octonauts. Oh, how lovely! Yes, <laughs> I call it my unemployment beard. That's yes, the one. Fair. I mean, I, I grew it for a job, and then I thought, oh, I quite like this. And when I was young, I had a beard whenever I could. Yeah. Now it's very fashionable, isn't it? Young people have beards. All oh, the you're time. right. Actually, the context of beards. Beards didn't used to be cool. No, no, I had yeah. one and, and sort of stood out. And I like that. In fact, I think yeah. the, one of the reasons I became an actor is that I thought, oh, this will give me the chance if I want to. I can do things like dye my hair blue. Yes. Because I didn't have the nerve to do it myself. But oh, I could I say oh, it's for a job. Do you know, I had a, a, a similar but different experience recently with, uh, you know, you do a photo shoot and they, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, they buy loads of clothes and then you often send them back. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you go, oh, I'll keep that one and I'll keep that one. And I bought a pair of shoes recently from a photo shoot that are nothing like what I would normally wear. Great big chunky foamy base on them and kind of green and the like lurid orange laces. Yeah, and yeah. I would never buy them in a shop and I put them on and everyone was like, those are great shoes. And I was like, I'm not taking them off for the whole rest of the shoot. <laughs> and I got all excited about it. I don't think they're visible in any of the pictures, but I got really, really excited about them. And yeah, it's that the freedom of specialness makes yeah. you go, oh yes, well, I mean, there are people in this world who can just grow a beard, dye their hair blue or buy some nice shoes mm-hmm. without being given permission by some yeah, sort of quite. artistic control. But I'm not one of them. Well, needing an excuse, that's the thing. Is it, is it somebody yeah. said to you, interesting shoes you got there, Stu? And you go, I got them from a photo shoot. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm off the hook. It's almost as if I have to wear them. Like, exactly. Yeah, quite. <laughs> that's your excuse in life. Yeah, no, I'm always looking for an excuse. I'm always, <laughs> always trying to pretend I do things because other people have made me. Isn't that weird, though? Yeah. Like, you're alive once... You know, the bird flies into the room and it's all chaos and then it flies out and it's darkness forever. <laughs> yes. Why are we sitting around waiting for permission to buy shoes? I'm <laughs> staggered by it. But I, I'm, I'm, like, it's like I'm aware of all these forces. I'm very repressed, I suppose. 
and I'm aware of these forces acting on me, mm. but just being aware of them, it's like you, they're so deeply ingrained. It's so horribly English that you're like, oh, oh gosh, I, I mustn't dress in a way that could possibly make me a target of ridicule from some children at school <laughs> no. who no longer exist. You know? in, in a way, Mad. that's what I love about the theme of your show is that you constantly go back to the fact that here I am, this man with all the privileges, but actually I sort of control myself with my own fears. Yes. How do I look to people? You're right. That is what it's about. Thank you. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And and we all do that. Look, look, look. Here's me in Tunbridge Wells, sitting in my house in Tunbridge Wells. There's you in Bristol, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same sort of thing. We've gone into that group of people and, and yet we would automatically claim, no, no, I'm, I'm incredibly liberal. I'm really open and I've got lots of friends from all sorts of areas and everything. Yeah. But in fact, uh, we're having a street party in our private road this weekend. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, Do you I see, see what, what I mean. mean? Are, you, are you swept up along? Because this is the way, I, I don't know when this goes out, but this is the weekend of the King's coronation. Absolutely. Even yeah. saying the word King makes me laugh out loud. It's so <laughs> preposterous. And I wonder, I do wonder how much longer the monarchy will last because there was something about having been born into a world, as we all, almost all of us were, in which there was a Queen. Mm-hmm. That was the status quo. Whereas now it's absolutely trifling and ludicrous <laughs> and contrived that there is a King to a whom king. we are. We are invited, to be fair to them, they only gently invited us to swear allegiance. Oh. I was doing a I was doing a gig last night in in Cheltenham, Royal Cheltenham Spa, mm-hmm. I should say. Is it Royal or is it just Cheltenham Spa? I don't know. But um, I did a, a gig there, and there was I started talking about this, and I said, "Will anyone be swearing allegiance?" And an older guy in the middle of the room said, "Yes." And I did, you know, I wanted him to feel welcome. I didn't want mm-hmm. to slam him, but I said, "And is that?" I was sort of I was just pontificating on stage, thinking, "Is that because you're?" You know, with respect, is that because you were in the armed forces or something? And he said, well, he was a scout. And I said, well, <laughs> thank you for your service. You know, it's just... <laughs> yes, quite. It's, it's an extraordinary... like this. I mean, it's just absolute nonsense. I'm looking forward to seeing what Christopher Eccleston has to say about it because he <laughs> seems rather less repressed than I am about expressing his true opinion. Yeah, having the nerve to actually say what you think. Exactly, yeah. Another theme of your show. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yes, yeah, so I did tweet the other day and it got a very strange response. Most people went, oh, good, you know. I tweeted, they've opened a Burger King at the bottom of my road, so I stood outside with a sign saying, not my Burger King. <laughs> you know, which is, you know... It's, it's all right. It's fine. But actually, lots of people are saying, I'm oh, sorry, are you saying, and I got into an argument about royalty. Yes. And you sort of yes. go, well, I don't mind it. And I, I agree. I can't really think of a, of a decent alternative. Well, actually, I lie. I can. I, can <laughs> I think of a very decent alternative, which is that all those people who people nominate for awards. Yeah. You know, those people who do really nice things in society yeah. and keep themselves very quietly, which just get on with it and are really decent people. If those names went into a hat and every three months somebody was pulled out and they say, uh, excuse me, uh, Joan, you're head of state for the next three months. Yes, oh, am I? I see. Okay. Anybody comes to the country, you have to have dinner with them and, you know. Would this end up sort of perverting people doing good works mm. as a system? Would people go, well, I'm going to have to climb Everest now if I'm going to be in with a chance of being in the lottery? And then seizing power from within. Well, true. Or would it affect their life afterwards? Would they go, well, I was queen. Yes, I used to be. I was head of state. The first memoir that comes out, once was a queen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. The whole system is ridiculous and I can think of something better to replace it with, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's nonsense. I don't mind... 
I sort of don't mind the pageantry, but I also do mind the pageantry. I mean, it's yeah. like, I do think that, you know, as people of a theatrical bent, you do recognise that ritual's important. Like mm-hmm. as a teenager, I was very kind of anti, you know, ritual in a sort of larger sense, like sort of church services and yeah. proper stuff and standing up and saluting and, you know, pledging allegiance. Yeah. And all assembly. Exactly, and assembly, mm-hmm. all of that kind of nonsense. You sort of go, that's all absolute horseshit. Can I swear on this podcast? Yes, tonight? please do. So it's, that's, that's all just nonsense. But I do get that it's sort of in times of crisis, you need to accrete around something, mm-hmm. you know, you, and, and like the idea of like, oh, one guy wears a special hat. It's the same <laughs> sort of wheelhouse as when you get married, you wear a special dress or a yeah. special thing or you swap a ring or something. And that, that stuff, although to an adolescent, it seems like, well, it's all just whiffle, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's, mm. it's like Father Christmas, isn't it? Your participation, your voluntary participation in it imbues it with meaning. Yeah. And it's, it's not as clever as you think it is to go, this is all just bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, but I, I, I suppose I'm affording myself there. Like, I like to think that everyone who's into the monarchy knows it's just bullshit, but they're going along with it. I don't think that's the case. I no. think there are what I would call extremists yeah. um, who who have sort of forgotten that, and they're like people who genuinely believe in Father Christmas. Yes. So that's the difference. Well, and, and of course, the main objection is, quite often, is can you believe how much money they're spending on this? And everybody then says, oh, but it generates an enormous amount of money. Well, I, I very rarely hear people mention the word profit. Well, I do hear those people mention the word profit all the yes. time because everything in their life is about profit. Uh, does mm. it make money? And then suddenly with the royalty, well, it's, it's not about profit, is it? It's about standing. It's about how we look to the world. And you go, yeah, but those gold coaches, I know they're not solid gold. I know they're only gilded. <laughs> but they will be driving past people in tents because they've yeah. got nowhere to live. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I would much rather that we had an international standing and a reputation that was based on kind of hope and optimism and kindness and science and progress Mm -hmm. and uh, warmth and great treatment of refugees and and brilliant climate advancements and what have you, rather than doing terribly badly on a lot of those things and papering over it with a monarchy. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautifully put. I completely agree with you that actually wouldn't it be an amazing thing if people said we must go to the UK? It's amazing. There's not a single homeless person there. And they have have this standard wage. So everybody has a reasonable life. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Well, there we go. There well, we you, can be the first, you can be the first king then, Michael. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to have... <laughs> I'm have... sorry, if you're willing to do it, you exclude yourself. I'm so sorry. You're, you're disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first question you ask. Would you like to do this? Oh, what a yeah. shame you said yes. Yeah. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. Stuart, so your brilliant podcast, Comedian's Comedian podcast, mm. I want to talk about that because you have, when you say meeting those people and you get sort of used to it, but yes. I look at the list of people have you had on your podcast and I just go, wow, that's fantastic. I know you've been doing it a long time, but it's brilliant. Yes, 11 years, I think. We're on mm. guest. What am I on? I can see on my little list I'm doing the blurbs. After we record, I'm doing the blurbs, the, the kind of interstitial bits for episode, I think, 427. Brilliant. So it's been going a little while. Mm. Um, and I do get a bit sort of starstruck. Well, not starstruck, but I'm. What one thing I really love is going to a comedy festival in another country and chatting to some person who's holding up the bar yeah. and getting on with them before you realise they're incredibly famous but you don't know who they are. That's one of my all-time favourite things because you you just like this, there's, there's, um, I think it was in Montreal, the Just for Laughs festival mm. and I got chatting to an, Aust- an Australian guy and I got that he was a comic and he was a bit older and it gradually became apparent. I was like, so how's comedy?
comedy treating her and he said, oh, can't complain. And he's a sort of Paul Merton status. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or he's yeah. like, he's hosted a show. He's yeah. hosted two different very successful shows for two seasons. And I had literally no idea who he was. <laughs> and it's this great level because it means you. it takes the obstacles out of the way of you encountering that person as a real person. Yes. When I have people on the show, like there's, I, I never like to say the names of upcoming guests in case it, it doesn't happen. Mm. But there is someone with whom I'm in talks to get on the show, which would be a kind of... I mean, not even massive celebrity within, like someone so respected within comedy. Yeah. But the reason I'm so excited about this person is that I saw their work. I was at a festival in Texas a couple of months ago and I saw them live for the first ever time. Mm. I kind of, I knew who they were and they do something very different, but I saw them and I just said to them afterwards, I've been going to the Edinburgh Festival for 30 years. It'll be 30 years this year. Mm. And I, I just love stuff that unpeels my brain and <laughs> just makes me think I didn't know this was possible. And I said, thank you, mate. We've been chatting backstage first. We've met in a nice evening kind of um, mm. status thing and I just said thank you that makes me feel I felt like I was 16 again the first time at Edinburgh watching you and having my brain melt because I didn't know that was possible uh, so someone like him I will get very very excited about having on the podcast yeah and I hope I don't know if I can honestly hold myself to this standard but I hope that that is the norm for me the people I get giddy about are the people whose comedy imaginations whose creative brains are things that I could just never dream of in a million years, yeah, yeah. rather than the people who, they're super, super famous, but I get what they do, and I, I understand their expertise at it. I maybe mm -hmm. don't share it, maybe elements of it I do, but the people who are kind of, they found their one thing and they did their one thing, those are really great, and they do it, they're like, you know, master craft people. Yeah, But absolutely. when there are people who are, I just think, how does your <laughs> brain work? How did you get that and get that and smash them together and get there? Yeah. An example of someone who hasn't, hasn't been on the show, I would love to have him on the show, there's a, a comic and actor called Joseph Morpurgo, mm. and he once did a show called Odessa, and it was a, a one-man sketch show, one-person sketch show at Edinburgh, God knows how long ago, seven or eight years. Mm. And he did a show where he played a tape of adverts, TV adverts from the 80s from a town called, I think it was Odessa, Texas. And they were like local adverts, like come to this Chinese restaurant, come yeah. to this shop. They were real. And you're watching it going, what is this? And he plays five minutes of these adverts with little bursts of static in between them. And then he comes on and does sketches whereby you gradually realise he is embodying the characters from the adverts and their unique takes on life and problems, what wow. have you. And then... He comes on, and this is this is the bit. I felt like my head was just just. <laughs> I felt like I just someone had poured sulfuric acid on top of my brain. It was falling apart. He came on in a silver ghillie suit, you know, like a sniper camouflage suit, mm. made out of silver foil strips, <laughs> and bounced up and down in a strobe light whilst reciting a sort of Benjamin Zephaniah style beat poem about what it was like to be static. And you realised he was embodying the bursts of static in between the sketches. And that makes my, it just makes my head explode. I yeah. think, you, what, how, what is this? How did you get there? How is that possible? I know. So that's the stuff. And how do you think that actually it's going to drag people along with you? I mean, I love those sort of thoughts, but the idea that you go, I can do this in front of quite a large crowd and yes. they'll enjoy this. Yes. The nerve of it. The nerve of it and the resilience, the ability oh, to cope when yeah. it goes wrong. Yeah. Sam Simmons told me, brilliant Australian absurdist, he, you know, he'll do a bit where for five minutes he's smashing nachos on his bare chest mm -hmm. and just looking at them like, this is fun. 
funny, right? Yeah. And I said to him, what What do you think when it isn't working? And he says, I just get angry with them if they don't laugh because I know it's funny and I just get angry. Like, why aren't you laughing? But what an incredibly resilient kind of starting point. But you do remember those things more than people doing amazing joke routines. You can go and see a whole yes. show and you might not remember a single joke from it. But I've also seen people do things on stage which are inexplicable and are genius, I think. I saw a person in Australia, strangely enough, and everybody had been quite funny. And then this person came on and said, OK, um, it's my impression of diarrhoea. <laughs> and then they proceeded to eat a whole box of toffees. OK. They just stuffed these toffees okay. in them, and you knew where it was going. OK. Oh, God. And they did it for a long, long time. Oh, God. <laughs> and then they spat it out. OK. And by the time they did it, of course, half the audience were going, get off, mate. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, and the yeah, other yeah. half were going, oh, my God, I can't believe he's had the nerve to do this. Yes, yes, yes. I was talking recently about a friend of mine, actually, Mike Raffone is his performing name. He was at Covent Garden in the, I guess, 90s? I don't mm-hmm. know if he was there in the 80s. He used to do an act. I don't I don't know the name of it, and I never saw it. I just had it described to me, and I loved the idea. He would get, he'd be wearing a suit, and he'd come out, and he'd, he would very laboriously get, this was the whole show, he would get a can of shaving foam, whipped cream type, you know, pie effect stuff, and a paper plate, and he'd very laboriously make this custard pie <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. And he'd say, somewhere near here, is the perfect person that when I put this in their face, it will be incredibly funny. And the thing is, he was saying, the thing is, the person who it's going to be already knows it's them. And of course, everyone thinks, oh God, it's going to be me. Like, I love risk. I love seeing people take risk. And probably in part, that's because what I do, you know, from what work of mine you've seen, Mm. like I I take a different sort of a risk. I love free falling. I love beginning a sentence not knowing where it ends. But I also... You know, you have a duty to your audience, and so I want to have written stuff that expresses myself, expresses my point of view, that makes them laugh, that connects with people. Mm. I'm in awe of people who who seem to bypass the repression I feel and just kind of unpeel themselves and yeah. go, bang, there it is. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's weird. I, it was a very strange moment for me as a, as a newer comic many years ago, realising that the stuff that I naturally did wasn't the sort of mad stuff that I used to love watching. Because I think the job of a comic is just to remove all of the obstacles between one's authentic self and one's audience Mm -hmm. and just be as as yourself as you are when you're talking, giggling with your wife or your best mate or your kids or what have you, just to be that that true. Yes, when you start, you must automatically think, well, I need to find a character. I need to find a performer. Who am I going to be as this performer? Yes, I think a lot of comics see someone that they venerate like Stuart Lee or James Acaster or someone and mm. they and they think oh that's what comedy is I have to do that yeah or of course that that isn't what comedy is what comedy is is whatever you want to do yeah. but it takes years to learn that and you have to unlearn all of this all of the protection all of the armor that you're putting on to protect yourself from the audience yeah it's like Harry Hill's new show that he's been touring oh. around I mean, oh, have you seen it have you seen I, the new I saw show? him do a, a tryout for it down in Brighton okay. at the Comedia and it was <sighs> It was mind-blowing because he, what he did was he tried things out and if they worked, he then took them further yeah. to find the point at which they didn't work. Yeah. And that is yeah. amazing nervous. He did a thing where he said, is it tear and share or tray bake? And he just showed photographs. Is that tear and share or is it tray bake? <laughs> yeah, you're right, tray bake. It is tray bake. Yeah? Just a whole sequence. And then he did it with people, exactly the same things. Is this person tear or share or are they tray bake? Yes. It, it was That's very great. It's extraordinary. That's great. And, you know, you only get to that by sort of relentlessly experimenting and, and being unafraid of the times when it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah. fab. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to talk about five things you want to put into a time capsule. Yes. Apparently. 
Yes, <laughs> we were having a nice chat. Let's impose a format on it. Let's, come on, let's, let's restrict ourselves. Come on, let's do that. <laughs> so, good. Let's see where it takes us. That's the important Grand. thing. Yeah. Thing number one. Yes. Well, thing number one, I think for me is probably one of my children's toys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did briefly consider putting my children in the time capsule. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. Mm. And uh, I think to sort of represent them, because someone asked me, someone, I, I was doing some sort of improvisy stand-up show at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival last week. It's called Erup- Interruption Show, and people interrupt you as you're talking. And, and the, <laughs> one of the performers said to me, what's your idea of self-care? And I was completely broadsided by the question. I'm, as you'll know from the podcast, it's a sort of odyssey into into mental health of comedians and creative people and what have mm, you. And I'm, mm. I'm pretty, I'm a kind of therapy junkie. <laughs> I'm interested in ideas about self care. And I said I was taken aback. I didn't have a funny. I didn't have anything prepared. And I just said quite honestly, oh, my idea of self care, I suppose, is sort of pressing my face against my son's face. Uh, that's where well, that's my happy place really is just kind of press my face against his or my daughter's face although she's a bit more resistant to it <laughs> she doesn't she does he's seven she's four mm. and her vibe is a bit more no daddy you go out of the room which is I, I practice showing her what respectful <laughs> consent looks like but um but i so I'm, I'm just stressing that i don't prefer my son in any way it's just he no. lets me i press my face against his face and i feel so still and so calm and so peaceful it's brilliant so something that represents that they both of them are addicted to buying these it's all they want to spend their pocket money on mm. these I, I think they're called tie dotties or tie they're like beanie babies but like yeah. a new version same yeah. company i think even yes i have grandchildren and yes uh, okay yes so you know the sorts mm-hmm. of thing it's amazing to me the extent to which these things have clearly been designed in a lab probably by ai to mm-hmm. snag the attention of any passing child the eyes are huge they're sort of huge modeled eyes, on I know. they're modeled yeah. on like a bush baby or something huge eyes glittery eyes rainbow mm. fur glittery rainbow fur everything yeah. has a horn on it you can't just like they know that kids love horns on unicorns and narwhals so they're like great let's do a lion but she's got one she's let's do a lion but with a horn on it the insanity of that because she loves it it's a unilion or a lionicorn or whatever it is you know yes. they've just taken it's almost like some you know, that sort of startup mentality of find out what works, ditch everything else, go with that. Take it too yeah. far. Find out the best bit, ditch everything else, go with that. They've just gone, what can we stick a glittery rainbow horn on? And, and as a result, <laughs> they've got these bananas little things. And and what I love is the sort of the um, the cognitive dissonance between me thinking these are nonsense I'm offended by the, on some level, I'm offended by their kind of lack of tethering to reality. But I love that my children love them. So I sort of love these little objects and they buy them and they, my son's got one that's like a glittery sloth and he's called Window. Because my son, (laughs) the the names. Oh, they do all have a name, don't they? Oh, they they do. They they come with a name. And then Mm. my son, um, he names, I wonder if I'm betraying a confidence to tell you some of the names of his his cuddly guys. I, I don't think I am. I think he'd be okay with it. Okay. Um, he is so good at naming. Window is a real misstep. He has um, a little furry, again, I think it has a unicorn horn. It's like a hamster with a unicorn horn. It's rainbow coloured. <laughs> and it's, I said, what are you going to call it? This is two years ago now. And he said, Quilamino. Oh, I'm like, great. Quilamino. What a name. And we Googled it. It's completely unique. He's, he's a just minted unique a unique thing. So there's Quilamino. There's... And I was doing a character for a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I was doing it. I said, what's like all my character? And he said, outquipsio. And I'm like, outquipsio? Great. He's just, he loves language and he's just mashing together these little bits. Yeah. My granddaughter does that with, um, she has, she likes exactly those unicorns. So she's got a whole collection of these horses. They've all got a name. When you buy them, it will be rainbow 
or yeah. Starlight. Yes. She does a mashup of all these names. So oh, nice. it'll be Sparkle Starlight Johnson. Yes, no, yes. A ridiculous name. And you know, we've got a we've got a baby Stella Sparkles. Yes, so exactly. I know yeah. exactly what you yeah. mean. Yeah. <laughs> and I've spent hours. It's like a it's not bad for old people, I think. Yeah. Is she sits there and says, Okay, so what's this one called, Granddad? Oh, a test. This is good. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the brain working. <laughs> Absolutely. It's my it's my memory test. Something they do now that infuriates me is they leave the tags on. And it looks oh. like they're sort of trying to retain the resale value. They've, they're not. They've got no concept of what that is. They just think no. leaving the tags on is important. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. that's, it goes against everything, all of our principles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like it, the fact that I have a split on that. I have the older ones leave the tags on, and the youngest one almost immediately says, can you take the tag off? Yes, Good. Because the tag is a sort of an annoyance. Yes, exactly, it's because this is a toy. It's not an, ob- mm. it's not an artefact. It's a toy. It's to be cuddled and to no. be played with. I'm just wondering now whether there's quite a funny parallel between us talking about the you know the coronation, putting a glittery hat on something, and we go, oh, it's all <laughs> and, shiny and sparkly. I think if the, <laughs> if the king's eyes were a little bigger, then maybe I'd be involved. <laughs> or a horn. Come on. Yes. Never mind a crown. Put a big glittery horn on the bastard. That'd work. <laughs> Well, I really like those toys, actually, because they immediately fall in love with them. But you're right. Now thinking about it, almost certainly that's AI, isn't it? Somebody said, take all the forms of yes. the cuddly toys that you like and make the perfect one. I would be amazed. And if it isn't AI, it's it's humans, which is almost worse. You know, that they're just yeah. like I... It's a committee. Yes, that's it's a, a committee mm, or it's... Um, mm. I know I'm being cynical about this and I, I they do bring my children a lot of joy. But it for me, it does seem cynical like they've gone what works they like rainbows and glitter and big eyes and horns and it's like they're sort of approaching one final kind of chimera which is the and that's Mm. it we've made this now no other toys are required because we've reached the pinnacle every single child upon seeing this will burst into tears demand it (laughs) take it home and then buy the identical model tomorrow that's what they're going for that's what they've priced the smallest ones at a point where you go Oh, all right. <laughs> well, this is yeah. this is. I mean, this is this is how marketing works. This is an object yeah. lesson. I remember walking towards. So there's a Ferris wheel in the town centre, which is funny because Bristol's in a valley. So you get to the top and you're like, "Yep, there's all that stuff." Um, but uh, if I look up, I can see my house. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but as we walk towards it, and this is going back a few years. I think they were very, very small. And it was one of my first dad moments of going, oh, God, our muggins here is going to have to pay for this. And as I was walking Mm -hmm. towards it, I thought, I bet, I just know that they have priced this at exactly the point which you just think, oh, Oh, for Christ's sake, go on then. And as well mm-hmm. they should. That's capitalism, baby. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. should let they go, what would be reasonable? Okay, if we double that, will everyone turn away? How many pence can we shave off before they <laughs> won't turn away? They'll just hate us, but they'll pay it anyway. And and so it is. Those are the price points on those beanie babies. Again, designed in a yeah. lab. There will be committees. There'll be people who've got rich and drive Jaguars as a result of being the beanie baby price point guy. Yeah, three ninety nine. Yes. You sort of go, well, that's you can't per- refuse Yes, that. exactly. You can't. But then, of course, they go, or oh, this one. No, that's fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. It was like it's a drug dealer, isn't it? Your first one's quite reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your first on. one's free. Fall in love with it, fall in love yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. Oh, uh, but I also love that thing of coming in on a child and staying close to them. It's one of the joys of putting children to bed, I think, is the fact that that towards the end of it, yeah. they say, you know, just stay with me for a bit. Yeah. 
And and it's got to be the best thing it's in the, the world. It's the best time, or like falling a, a child falling asleep on you, on in a uh, funny shape on your arm, and it's killing you, and you don't want to move. And you just, this is the can't. best thing ever. Obviously, you know yeah. the decision or the ability to, or the luck or the circumstances, or what have you, to have children or not have children is so much more of a thing than I realised mm-hmm. when I probably even when I first had mine. You know, it's it's we're much more aware now that saying to people thinking of kids is you've got no idea what's gone on in someone's life no. and whether they've had miscarriages no. or you know any any kind of the difficult things you can go through yeah i feel so um i don't want to say sorry for but i i've got enormous empathy for people who want children and who don't have them and also mm. and it may be i've mentioned father christmas earlier on and it may also be your appearance michael but um <laughs> uh, it, ho, ho, ho. i remember seeing i remember seeing a documentary i think it's called being santa it may be or something like that a few christmases ago and it just made the point that for men of a certain age, if they don't have children in their lives, they never mm. contact children. We have such no. a kind of Daily Mail infused, you're not allowed, paedophile to. island. You know the fear of even making eye contact with somebody else's kid. I, this is such a crushing shame, and I feel like it's so. Like we're all of us only a few. You know they say we're three square meals from barbarism, and I think we're only a few. Mm-hmm missed meetings from loneliness particularly when uh, we get older mm. i think senior loneliness is a, is a huge problem and and just a, it was such a heartwarming documentary to go oh these people are choosing to give the gift of themselves being santa to perpetuate the santa idea yes. and and sort of improves kids lives and also you could tell some of them were like they were really overcome because they just get to spend time with children and it is so mm. precious and so amazing and i think of those you know every so often a meme will do the rounds with some incredible elderly person at the end of their life on a hospital bed and someone's put their great grandchild next to them and they're just looking at this baby mm. what a way to go when yeah. you've got we've all got to go imagine going looking at new life whether it's your own yeah. relative or not but just they we should just the ward of a hospital it should be the <laughs> same ward do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, right. here's yeah. the very old people and here's the new people and on it goes and on, and it, goes. on it goes yeah Wonderful thing. I have to say that I am one of those men who all the time, my wife is always turning me off for it, but I won't abide by that social rule that we're yeah. not allowed to talk to children yeah. on, on our own, that men are not allowed to communicate with children. Yes. I do love children, and I love talking to children. This is, I think this is the what you've hit upon there is exactly right. It's not even that there is a culture of telling old men, hey, don't talk to my kid. It's that there is a culture of fear on both yeah. sides. It's Far mm-hmm. less of a problem. Obviously, there are awful predators out there, but as we know, yeah, yeah. the odds of it being someone outside the family who does something awful to your child are, are just astronomically unlikely. Mm. But the fear of being a person talking to, being an older man or a man talking to children, because what if someone gets the wrong idea? That prevents you. And, you know, you think, oh, what if what if someone, oh God, I was walking around, I took my, my godson, when he was very little, I took him around a soft play and he used to refer to me as Uncle Stu, which was sort of a big part of his life growing up. And so I was his Uncle Stu. And then I was taking him, he must have been four-ish. We're taking him around a soft play somewhere. Mm. And another little boy who, whose mum, I think, had a baby to look after. He'd been sort of let free range into the soft play. And he ended up following me around. And you're not going to say mm. to a kid, clear off, I'm playing with my godson. <laughs> me. So of no, course, no. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I have no physical contact with him. I've sort of got that outside eye on. But because my godson is calling me Uncle Stu, this little kid picks up on it 
and we go round the corner as the little boy puts his hand into my hand for the first time, which we've not made any contact at all. We turn the corner. He reaches up in the manner of children, like, oh, there's a hand there. I'll hold that hand. And his mum comes around the corner and she goes, hello, Simon. Um, have you made a friend? And the little boy goes, this is Uncle Stu. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him to call me that. No, and he's going to take me to the toilet. Exactly, exactly. And my own godson's done a runner and I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. And, but that, the culture of fear about it is sufficient Absolutely. that even telling you this anecdote on a piece of recorded media a tiny mm-hmm. part of me is going god someone Ooh. could hear this and get the wrong idea and think i'm doing groundwork do you know what I mean it's awful yeah, yeah. it's it's just awful it, it is awful it is i live on a street where the children go to school and come back from school down my road okay and i always um, they all know me so all the children say hello and children come into my garden and talk to me. Mm. And then their mum will go, sorry, do you mind? I said, mm. no, I don't mind at all. I'm delighted. Sure. I'm honoured. Yeah. Well, and that that's a real that's a real encounter. They come in, the mum says, mm. everything all right? And you go, yeah, everything's all right. And that's the reality. 99.9% of the time, that's yeah, the encounter. Yeah. So I'm really glad for you that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Well, I'm going to put one of those toys in, though, to remind you lovely. of cuddling up to your son's face. Marvelous. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also, another one I would say is a, this is funny because I don't have one of these and I should have one of these, but it's a solar panel. Mm. I'd like to put a solar panel in, partly because it reminds me of my dad, who's still very much alive. I was thinking if I'm, oh, it reminds me of my dad. He's still going. He's still going. I can bring him. Um, He lives in Spain and has done for years. And I always feel compelled to point out that he's not like an egg and chips English expat. He speaks Spanish. He fell in love with Spain in the 80s. Horror bank robber. Yeah, he's out. Well, ah, well, (laughs) we don't know for sure that he isn't. Um, But he's really like, he's he's got mates who are a bit more kind of English expat, don't get involved with the culture, but they always get my dad round to talk to people in Spanish on their behalf. Because I'm, I'm really, and, Great, he's, yeah. and he's not brilliant at Spanish, but he's been learning it for 30 years. Mm. And he's good enough. He can get by. He can go to a, you know, a builder's yard and stuff. So he's obsessively building and rebuilding his house. And the important build. things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. He'll do that until he drops dead. Anyway, <laughs> so he now, just in the last two years he has installed solar panels on the roof of the house. And there is, there's a much bigger conversation that I don't understand and that should. I think this is one of the things, as well as mental health and resilience, we should be teaching in schools electricity from an early age from the perspective of renewables and solar power. We should be teaching watts mm. and ohms and volts because I don't understand it and I'm infuriated. The amount of people who've tried to explain it to me with water falling down waterfalls or horses <laughs> and number of horses on the track and how many horses in a line, people have tried again <laughs> and again, I don't understand. And I wish I understood it natively, like as a kid. Mm. But he has these solar panels and the solar panels operate the air conditioning unit and the air conditioning unit can also be turned up to provide heat. So now he has free cool air in the summer mm. and free heat. It's his heating system. So he doesn't use any gas, does anything else. Brilliant. It's free. It comes out of the sun and yeah. it's just there. And so he's running around the house, giddily turning all the appliances on when he first got <laughs> it done. And he was just thrilled at the elegance of this idea. Photovoltaic panel. I don't think it's sun. It's not specifically sun. It's just light. There's enough light even mm. on a cloudy day in Spain. It warms and cools his house. It's free and there is no environmental cost apart from obviously the creation of the panels where everything comes yeah. with some sort of carbon debt. So he, he has these. And the lovely thing is now, when he used to visit the UK, he would always say, it'd be a running joke between me and the kids, like uh, they call him Abba, Spanish abuelo, his granddad. So um, <laughs> when Abba comes, it was always a running joke. How soon will it be before Abba says, God, it's cold here? And, you know, moans about the cold <laughs> weather in Britain. 
And now the running joke is, when is he going to mention his solar panels? Because mm-hmm. he'll be around here. Like his, his wife, Lynn, will be back in Spain. She's not so mobile, so sometimes he'll pop over for a few days. Mm. And he'll be on his phone and he's got an app that, you know, he'll get a notification and go, oh, Lynn's turned the telly on. You know, because he's, <laughs> <laughs> because he's, got, he's got this little... Um, yeah, how much is being used. What, how much is being used, how much is going to the battery, how much is he selling back to the grid or what, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I love that, not simply because it reminds me of my dad and those sort of lovely idiosyncrasy of my old older dad, mm. but also because I'm increasingly obsessed with the climate. My new stand-up show is all about suffering from and trying to learn to cope with climate anxiety, climate dread. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of a solar panel is like one of those, or like tidal power or something, it's one of those things which, and I am hopeful about this, that is how it's going to work from now on. I am of the opinion, I think peak oil was in 2019. Mm-hmm. That's as much as it'll ever cost. And I think before, as oil dwindles, the cost isn't going to skyrocket because the fossil fuels are harder to come by. The cost is going to reduce massively because everyone in the world is already, big industry that we don't even see, is switching on to the idea that the fossil fuels will become worthless before they run out. Mm. Because why would you bother digging a thing out of the ground and burning it and creating a load of smoke and pollution when there is free energy? Yes. Free wind turbines. We're just getting used to it. We all, all, everyone in my car, we shout spinner whenever we see a wind turbine in it, you know, yeah. over the brow of a hill. It's there. It works. And we have all the technological solutions. We just need the political will. And it's a real thing of mine. So that's- Absolutely. I, I'm completely with you. Uh, it's very frustrating when you see, for example, all over the southeast, there are new estates being built. And when you build a new house, mm-hmm. make it the law that the roof has to be solar. 100%. Yeah, it's just simple. Someone was describing this recently, and my memory is so terrible, I can't credit this, but they were talking about how those decisions like banning smoking in pubs or Mm. drink driving being illegal and less of a thing like it used to be in the (laughs) 80s, you know, and all of those decisions, they seemed draconian at the time and people complained about them, and you wouldn't roll back any one of them. You wouldn't yeah. roll back any one of them. You know, I, I mean, I could, I've got a real soapbox about all of this. I can talk about this for as long as you like. But there's a friend of mine is a documentary filmmaker in America, and she is working on a movie at the moment, which part of which I've seen some of the rushes from it, and it, um, or like a, whatever it's called, you know, an edit of it. She talks about how they need to convince, I don't want to stereotype anyone as a redneck, but they need to convince, you know, Midwestern Americans mm. that it would make perfect sense if you are anti-big government it would make perfect sense for you to have a microgrid. You have your own solar panels, you have your own wind turbines, and you use your own electricity. And she said they want to rebrand them as liberty grids, right? Because then you're free from the system. Big electron can't tell you what to do. You make your own energy. And that is happening and that will happen and it will happen more and more. It's just that we need to start doing things like we need to do the equivalent of banning smoking in pubs. We need to go from now on. You have to. Yeah, exactly. You know, this Mm. has to change and we're going to subsidise the change. And we're going to, like electric cars are a thing. There are charging points everywhere. I can't Mm. remember what year it is. I think maybe in 2030 they're going to say, okay, no more combustion engines, Mm -hmm. but there'll still be 30 years worth of people running them. Mm -hmm. I think in what they've done in New Zealand with smoking, have you heard about this? I think this was a year or two ago. They said, right, we are going to increase the age at which, the minimum age from which you can buy cigarettes every year year on year until eventually nobody smokes. So it's Mm. if you're 15, it's illegal to smoke. And next year, if you're 16, it's illegal to smoke. And Mm -hmm. So that's it. It, It's a period of cessation. So we need that sort of leadership and that sort of innovation and that kind of hope. 
Yes, quite. I know a friend of mine had moved to Cornwall and they had a reasonable sized garden. I went to visit and they were having a windmill put in. Great. They said, yeah, it's cost £6,000. And I went, oh, quite a lot of money. And they said, no, no, it provides all the energy we need and we provide energy back into the grid from it. Sell it back to the grid. Yes. Mm. One of the big challenges there is that our grid isn't set up for that. Like, Oh, listen, none of this is funny yet. My job as I write this show, and I'm, I'm heading in the right direction, I'm taking it to the Edinburgh Festival this year, and I, I won an award for it at the Leicester Comedy Festival, Clang. Yeah. So I'm heading in the right direction, but to try and make all this stuff funny, this is my new thing, because we need hope. And I think um, I listened to a podcast with a lady called Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who talks about everybody having their own climate side hustle. So uh-huh. my climate side hustle is to not these aren't money making ones. This is just to kind of in, engage everyone's entrepreneurial spirit, of which I've got buckets of. So <laughs> I really want my climate side hustle to be hearts and minds, hope. Let's cope with it. We can believe in it. You know, like let's foster the political will because yeah. it's so easy to feel so lost and alone and scared of all of this stuff. Mm. And and particularly as a dad or a grandparent, you know, you go, oh God, I really, really care about my children's futures. Yeah. And it's really easy to sort of marred around the place, feeling dread and feeling awful, without realizing loads of the technology is there. Mm. You know, it, it, the end, it, all is not lost. No. All is not lost, but we do need to get our skates on. Yeah. So um, so that's my new thing. But you're also right. It is a political thing. You need to persuade those people. You know, I mean, I think that will happen. For example, in these local elections, if you have a great swing towards the Greens. The weird, the weird thing for me is, and I'm not, I'm not as politically engaged as I should be. I struggle enormously with memory and I can't hold dates and names and what have you in mm. my head. I, um, but... This is such a a cop-out. I haven't been as politically engaged as I should have been my whole life. My instinct is that it's not that we all need to vote Green so much as the parties, because Greens are still sort of, they're almost like, um, you know, a left field splinter. My idea would be, like people did with UKIP, they voted for UKIP and it made the main parties go, we need to do what they're saying. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, for sure. As a method... Exactly. We're going to become green. I think every political party, Mm. it needs to be insanity that any political party would not run on a platform of absolute eco-recovery. And a lot of these things, you know, the science is, there's new science happening all the time. So people are, you know, like with, you know, hand dryers or paper towels, which is best, which has got the the biggest carbon debt. It Mm. turns out hand dryers are better for the environment, but paper towels are better for hygiene. Uh. So in that way, I think, whilst I'm trying to write a joke about it at the moment, the thrust of it is that in the end, hand dryers are better for the environment because they're less good at being hygienic, so more humans die and that's better for the environment. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? God, it's trying to write jokes. I'm trying to, I was on stage last night trying to get this stuff across and write jokes about it. And of course, I'm used to, you try a joke, a new idea, and it doesn't work and people don't laugh, so you skip on to the next one. Mm-hmm. With the climate crisis, you try a new joke about it. If it doesn't work, they don't laugh, and now they all feel sad, and they're, they're angry with you for bringing it up at their night out. Pointed something out that made me feel desperate. Exactly, yes. exactly. It's a course I'm, I'm navigating. You need to sort of find a lightness and a silliness yeah. to it that I don't always feel, but but I'm learning how to do it. But so. you almost talked about the fact that we can generate all this wind power when it's windy, and then they don't know how to store it, and they don't know how to move it to other parts of the country where it's not yeah. so. The grid isn't set up to do that. Gravity batteries. Have you heard of gravity no, batteries? No, I haven't. They dig a really deep hole, and then they winch a weight up, and then they hover it there, and then when they need the energy back from it, they release it, and it zooms down and <laughs> pulls the thing the other way. So it's like, you know, with, with tidal power, you need to push the water up 
hill yeah. and leave it there and then, <laughs> right, oh, quick, turn the electricity on, let the water all come down and turn the thing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I'm not a physicist. All I can do is try, try and learn a bit of the stuff, try and make it funny. Mm. The show is basically me trying to solve and inspire the climate anxiety, you know, solve people of their climate dread. Yes. And what I'm finding is some audiences simply do not feel climate dread. They don't. I'm, I'm, I'm going out there in order to heal them. First, I have to wound them. Yeah. I've got to open by going, hey, be not afraid, but be not complacent. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's a, it's a big ask, but it's my life's work, I think, now. So mm. uh, it'll be fun. Okay. All right. That's your second thing. So we're moving on to number three. Right, sorry to interrupt, but it's ad break time. Unless you're an Acast Plus listener, of course, in which case this podcast won't even have been interrupted. See you in a minute. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Stuart Goldsmith would like to put in his time capsule. Yes, I think for number three, I've been thinking about what I, something I really enjoy doing. Over the last few years, I've got a hobby. Oh. And um, I've never really had a hobby before. My (laughs) whole life has been directed towards performing. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, my hobby was juggling, and then I turned that into, I became a street performer. And I worked up at the Edinburgh Festival. That's where I discovered all the comedy shows. And I eventually then became a comic. And, you know, I've been making people laugh for a living for 30 odd years. Mm. I have never really had a hobby because someone said to me years ago, what you need, Stu, for your mental health is you need a hobby that can never be performed. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I quite like, you know, I don't, I used to paint. I don't really paint anymore. And I used to... I've sculpted once or twice. I was in the original Taskmaster before it was a TV show. Mm. It was a sort of Edinburgh show that Alex Horn was doing, and I sculpted his head out of clay. And I look at it, and I think, that's bloody good, that is. So <laughs> I, I, I like those sorts of things, but I don't make the time for them. I have found a hobby I can stick to. So the object I would put in the time capsule is a 20-sided dice, which is one of the things that you use when playing Dungeons & Dragons. Oh. And it's, it's so funny to talk about because... I'm not not a nerd, mm-hmm. but I'm not a nerd. There are people who are into Dungeons and Dragons and they make it their whole personality. I, I DM, that's Dungeon Master, I'm in charge of sort of telling the story. Mm. And I'll put, you may know about it, but for listeners who don't, 
In the simplest possible terms, it is just interactive storytelling. So I say, right, Michael and three or four friends on Zoom, I do this with, with a bunch of crumbly old street performer friends of mine. Um, I say, okay, guys, uh, you're in a room and there's, if you look closely, there's a goblin with a hat on and then there's a door and there's a circle drawn on the door. What do you want to do? And so you go, oh, I'm going to go and have a chat with the goblin. And then I'll embody, it's a bit performative, but I'm not performing it to an audience. Yeah. It's just to my mates. And what I normally find is if you go with a broad regional accent, that helps you develop the immediate <laughs> character of a goblin. Right, so we've got this Scottish goblin or something. I'd say things like, it's not me, it's not me. Exactly, exactly. And 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 anything that you need to resolve that you, you, you know, it'd be easy if they went, oh, we killed the goblin, you go, fine, the goblin's dead. Mm. In order to resolve it, you roll, broadly speaking, a 20-sided dice and try and get a particular number, which I completely make up on the spot. There are rules. <laughs> I vaguely understand some of the rules. Again, some pe- with all due respect, some people are deeply into this, and I do respect that. I think that's great. I don't have time for it. I just want to muck about and do like a big, silly improv storytelling game that I spend hours on. On car journeys now, I do two things <laughs> driving back from a gig. I listen to climate-related podcasts and you know downloaded audio from YouTube, mm. and I also dream up, right, the season three, what's going to happen? Wouldn't it be great if that peripheral character then turned out to be the big bad guy at the end, but they didn't know? And you just pinch stuff. I get that idea from Terminator, and that's a bit <laughs> Doctor Who, and that's a bit that. And you just tell this story. And and because we're all grown-ups and we're all like everyone has a nice drink. We play it on we started playing it on Zoom. It was the antidote to eggy Zoom conversations during mm. lockdown. Mm-hmm. We just realized if you've got a thing to be doing, yeah. then suddenly there's no pressure. I don't know how you found it, the kind of pando Zoom chats. We did beer tasting. Yeah, right, exactly. You need a thing to do. It's mm-hmm. like golf, right? Or surfing. Golf is just a nice chat while some golf happens. And surfing, if you're doing it with someone, is a nice chat while surfing happens. Yeah. It's just a reason to hang out with someone. Yes, quite. So um yeah, golf on its own is an incredibly dull game. Yes. Mm. Well, I don't I haven't I haven't played golf on my own. I've only I've only had a nice walk. I have. I thought I'm gonna go as an actor, you sort of go, Well, I'm free, nobody else is, they're all working. Yes. I quite like golf. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and play golf. And I have once played it on my own, and I got about halfway round and thought it's just pointless because actually I can cheat and I'm not going to tell myself off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cheating at golf on your own is boring. It's really okay. That's good. That sounds like growth. It? That's growth. Just, you know, coming out the end of it. Yeah, great round. Yeah, yeah. Well done, me. Pat on the back. Lying to myself. What am I doing? Let, little drink, Michael, in a hedge from a hip flask. Why not? I think, I think it's my round. You did very well, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I, I find that having a silly thing to do and I record them and I will eventually get, I record the audio, which I initially did secretly so no one felt kind of um, flustered. Yeah. When I get round to it, I've got a huge audacity file of some of the funniest things. All we do is we cry <laughs> laughing. One of us has got, one of us plays a cleric. My friend Pete plays a sort of a monk warrior kind of thing and he's got very high charisma. So every time they, you know, one of his stats was at the chart. <laughs> so every time they meet a new person, they send Pete in as Father Tony. That's his character. And he goes and he goes, um, <laughs> Hello, mate. Like that. And he just kind of improvises this ludicrous thing. Or there was a bit where they were in an apothecary that had been ransacked and uh, they were on the trail of some baddie and he'd been there before them and someone had done a runner and the baddies had turned over the apothecary. So there were all sorts of sparkly powders and potions all over the floor. Mm. And they had a bit, my players had a bit of a chat and they were like, um, 
can we taste some of them? And then <laughs> and so then we spent maybe an hour in real time of them kind of dipping their finger. And I'm just wildly improvising. It's a shiny blue gunky sort of a liquid. Dip their finger and dab it on the tongue. I'll roll a hundred-sided dice and go, okay, I'm looking down a chart. Oh, you've sprouted wings and uh, you've got minus 10 wisdom points and you've fallen asleep. And then they wake up later on and they go, I'll have another go of that, please. Yeah, like that. It's just, we cry laughing. It's just priceless. Brilliant. I've been into Dungeon and Dragons shops, as it were. Oh, yeah. The war game things. Oh, uh, yes, Warhammer. Uh, they used to be called Games Workshop. It's rebranded as Warhammer. Warhammer. And weirdly, I don't have stats on this, but I believe it's one of the most successful British companies of all time. Really? Like it started off, in, you know, above an alley in Doncaster, yeah. above a pub or something. I can't remember where, Midlands, I think. And it, it's all like 2000 AD, if you mm. remember those comics, mm. Judge Dredd and stuff. It's all sort of infused with this kind of sarky... British sense of humour, sensibility. There are there are orcs. I used to play it as a kid. We never played. We just set it up and then go and have tea. Yeah. I used to paint the miniatures and stuff. All of the the lore, the LMRE lore of of the orcs is all sort of anti Thatcherite. It's all kind of it's all based in the eighties. And there are all these daft little ideas about if you paint something red, it goes faster. And, you know, it's just full of it's full of humour. You can get very po faced about it. And obviously, it's a sort of a despised art form. All of this stuff. It's very easy to look down on it. It's easy to walk past the Warhammer building and go, oh, these are you know nerds with bad personal hygiene or what have you. But what they are is human beings who have found a way to connect with each other. And so mm-hmm. I, I really hate, I mean, it's my job to mock things, but I, I really try to avoid mocking people's hobbies. You know, you've got to try and look below the surface and go, what's like, my my wife hates the idea of Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff. She just thinks it's the opposite of going outside and having a social life and seeing your friends. <laughs> yeah. And I just can't convince her. She doesn't get it. It's one of the most... It saved my life during the pandemic. This incre- it's like this foundation of laughing and just giggling and improvising and taking risks and being silly <laughs> with your friends. I think those yeah. things are so, so valuable, especially for men. And she says, why don't you go to a football match and stand on a terrace and shout at some other people on the other side? Come yes, on. Yes, why don't you go and scream and have a pie and a fight? Be a proper man. Exactly. Well, no, I don't think that's her angle <laughs> no. at all. But yeah, but I do think that particularly for men, and this is this is almost my thing to bury that I'm sort of in, encroach on, mm. but I've mentioned memory a, a, a few times and having a bad memory, and I have ADHD, I found out fairly recently, like probably 60% of comics, yeah. so 5% of real people, probably 60% of performers. Yes. I've had ADHD my whole life and never known it, and loads of comics will say this, I'm sure it's come up on your podcast before, but one of the ways it particularly affects me is that it impairs my memory and has done. And I was aware I didn't have a great memory, mm. but I, re- I know now why. I lack dopamine in my brain, so I'm constantly flitting from one thing to another. Yeah. And one of the ways that that expresses itself or has done in my life is that I've got loads and loads and loads of friends and I very rarely call anyone because I'm driving myself so hard to do this, answer these emails, make a podcast, do that, do more stuff, do more stuff, constantly be doing stuff. Mm. I feel very untethered. And as a result, it's a real effort of will to sit down, take a deep breath and hang out with someone. Yeah. And I think men are so crap at friendships anyway. My wife has, she puts all these, girls just understand, I'm sorry to gender this, but I believe broadly speaking, from a very young age, 
women are socialised to hang out with each other and ask questions. And, you know, you see it's very cliquey, you know, mm. worrying now about it's all getting cliquey at my son's school and the girls are sort of getting into groups and what have you. But men are socialised. I say this in the show, we're socialised to think like we're Batman. Yeah. You know, everything in my life is a crisis that only I can solve. <laughs> I must never ask for help and I deserve a special car, is the bit. <laughs> and nobody knows I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you're you're out there. It's all lone wolf, lone wolf, lone wolf. Yeah. And you end up with lonely wolves. Yeah. You, know, you just end up with lonely men. And the only time you do associate with other men is through something like a game. Yes. It's either through sport or as you say, yes. something like that, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Totally. I took my grandson, my grandson has ADHD and he's autistic, and he, I took him into a Warhammer because I thought, mm. I don't mind if he gets obsessed with it. I think it would be nice yeah. if he suddenly became a thing he wanted to do all the time. Uh, we went in and a man came over and said, have you been here before? He explained it all to him, which he quite liked. He likes detail. Yeah. So that's yeah. interesting. I see. Okay. And the man said to you, do you want to have a go at it? I mean, you've got six dice there. Mm-hmm. That one's quite a powerful one, but these are not very strong. In order for them to be successful, you need to, well, I mean, the ultimate throw would be six sixes. That's what you need to throw. But it's almost it's statistically almost impossible. So do you want to have a go at it? And Natty said, uh, yeah, okay. So he picked them up, threw them, six sixes. No. It's like it was in a film. It was ridiculous. Oh, wow. And the man went, I've never seen that before. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. So did your grandson get it? No. Has he developed an interest in it? No, he felt that he achieved it, as it were. Yes. (laughs) This is like my boy, my my little guy. He did a gig. He he writes his own jokes. He's brilliant. He told me one this morning at 6am. What did he tell me? He said, "What's, um, what's the saddest bit of the sea? The Great Barrier Grief, right? Love it, love it. <laughs> very good. So they're very punny at the moment. Yeah, he's yeah. also, as well as the puns, he's got some really good kind of approaching Harry Hill or Milton Jones kind of type odd head squeezy jokes. Yeah. And like one of his, what was his one? He said, what did the man say to the tube? You tube. Brilliant. <laughs> so, so he got up on stage at Bestival, at Camp Bestival. I was doing comedy for kids during the afternoon. Yeah. 400 people. We prepped this. And I said, if you do, he got up at Glastonbury, a compare got him up at Glastonbury in between acts. And they did a joke competition with all these kids, but <laughs> I alone knew that they were all doing joke book jokes and my son was doing his own original gear. His own gear. things, yeah. Yeah, so I said, if you put 10 of them together, come and do five minutes at Bestival, I'll give you a tenner from my money and that'll be your first paid gig, mm. age six at the time it was. And he did it and it, he was brilliant. And the first two jokes, there were kind of well-meaning adults in this big tent he was performing in, well-meaning adults going, hooray! And I was backstage thinking, shut up, listen to the jokes. Mm. He doesn't need help. And he did the third one. And they all laughed. And I was like, yes! And he came off stage and I said, what do you you think of that? And he went, yeah, it was all right. I'm going to go spend my money on crystals. And he did. We went to a crystal (laughs) shop and he blew a tenner on crystals. And what I realised was, I was talking to a comedian friend and he said, oh, have you got, is that it then? Is it, do you want him to be a comic? And I said, no, I think what I've done is inoculated him against stand-up comedy. And I (laughs) think that's what's happened with your grandson. (laughs) You walk in, you go, bang, I've done this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, he is obsessed with the idea that he's going to do a podcast. Oh, great, uh, great. Because he said to me, do you, make, do you make money out of the podcast, Granddad? And I said, a little bit, yeah. yeah. He went, I could do a podcast, couldn't I, Granddad? I right. said, well, you've got to get people to listen to it first. He said, well, I think they would. Yeah, He's very confident in it. How yeah. old is he? He's 11 now. Hell of an angle. Yeah. Hell of an angle. There's not that many podcasts by 11-year-olds. You've got the gear set up, get your producer on it. 11-year-old autistic children. Yep. Yep. Mate, all that needs is a great title, mm. and you could pitch that to Spotify this afternoon. Well, his name's Natty. Yeah. He likes to talk, so I'm going to call it Chatty Natty. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Chatty Natty is an 11-year-old autistic boy with a podcast. Mate, this is 
Like, literally, you should probably edit this bit out and just make it happen. No, quick. Yes, I know. <laughs> or, or include this bit as a... As a, as a preview, as a, yes. As a preview, yes. Well, mate, I mean, of course, there's, that's completely doable. And the lovely thing, as you know about podcasting, there's no barrier to entry. No. Anyone can do it no. on their phone. That's why there are, you know, whatever, there are like 5 million podcasts and like only 1% of them have got, or 0.1% of them have got past the first seven episodes. Yeah. But you can still do it. You know, art is a tool to be used as well as an artefact to be admired, mm. as we know. So why shouldn't he? What a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And what an opportunity for me just to sit and listen. Yes. Talk to him. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to put a 20-sided dice. Yes. Or die. To thank, very good, thank 20-sided you. die. I wouldn't have corrected you, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being respectful of my culture. No, absolutely, yes. <laughs> so we've got, we've got your cuddly toy, we've got your solar panel, we've got your 20-sided die, yeah. a D20. Um, and I think the other thing I would put in is probably the old bowler hat that I used to collect the cash in when I was street performing. Ah, uh, yes. Because it's such a big part of my life, I sort of worry that I talk about it too much because the thing about street performing is no one really knows what it is. So to me, it's this enormously vibrant and meaningful part of my youth and part of my life mm -hmm. and part of my community. But no one really knows what it is. And I remember years ago when human statues became a thing, People, I say I'm a street performer, and people will start going, oh, one of those human statues. I went, absolutely not. <laughs> so the sort of thing I'm talking about that I used to do professionally and a little bit, not really all over the world, but I did it a bit in Australia and Edinburgh and Manchester and London with Covent Garden and what have you. Mm -hmm. It's where you go out on the stage with a little suitcase on the stage, on the street, on the cobblestones at Covent Garden, outside the Actors' Church yeah. on the West Piazza. Put down a rope. And yeah, well, there we are, yes, and I did. Uh, you put down a rope or you climb up a thing or you take your clothes off and set fire to something or what have you. There's all <laughs> variations on it. Or you just be interesting and be curious about stuff and gradually gather a crowd. Mm -hmm. That's the, the best people. There's a wonderful, wonderful um, guy who I don't think works there anymore called Pepe, and he was a mime artist, very provocative mime artist, who would just... There's a thing called following where I, you, I remember seeing You've it. seen it? It's yes, fantastic. Of course, of course. He was the best. It just... As people walked by, he'd mimic them. Yeah. He'd walk towards them and then pass them and flick round and follow them like that, yeah. and he would physically caricature what they were doing. It's easy to do that badly and still get a crowd, mm. but he was the Caravaggio of yeah. following. I'm assuming Caravaggio is a famous painter. Um, <laughs> so it's that sort of a show. You, I, I did a juggling show, and gradually over the course of my street performing career, the juggling and balancing, I used to get 10 guys out of the audience to do a tug of war with a rope and then balance, walk along the rope, balance in the middle and eat a packet of crisps. That was the big part. <laughs> but increasingly... Or decreasingly, the skills, you know, I'd juggle a bowler hat, I'd, you know, juggle fruit or whatever, and then do the walk on the rope. By the end of my street performing career, the skills content was maybe four minutes, and the rest of mm. it was standing on a suitcase in my pants, improvising jokes at people walking past under the yeah. guise of getting a crowd, but really that was most of the show. Again, you can do it well or badly. Sometimes I did it pretty well. And the things that really excited me about street performing there is the free fall. There is every time it's like jumping off a cliff. Every time you think, this cannot possibly work. What? Mm. How have I convinced myself this is my job? There's no <laughs> way this will work. And then it starts to work and you go, bloody hell, I'm doing it again. I can't believe it. Um, so that that was very, very exciting, that aspect of it. Definitely getting laughs from big crowds of people 
by improvising, just just things off the top of your head. Lines, you know, that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. There's a lot of stock material out there, which if mm-hmm. you've got any class, you try and tweak and make it your own. But if that's the substrate, then the beautiful organic stuff that would grow up out of it when just odd little things. I remember um, one time at the Edinburgh Festival, some kids marched through. They were all holding on to like, um, you know, when they, they, you've got a kindergarten or whatever it is, a preschool yeah. And you've got to look after 20 kids. So they put orange high-vis jackets on all of them. And they were all <laughs> holding on to like a bright green, almost like um, like a beam, like a, pl- a light plastic beam. And they looked like they were kind of handcuffed to it. They all had to hold it so as they didn't know them straight anywhere. And they were all wearing these things. And they walked past and I said, oh, look, Guantanamo, the early years, or whatever the thing was. And it's just, you, just, you I've never said it before. I'll never say it again. And it just no. went wallop. And you could, yeah. God, that's amazing. But probably even better than all of those things was the community, particularly at Edinburgh and also particularly in its own way at Covent Garden. Mm. The community of street performing, whereby you get there at a certain time in the morning, you do the draw, which is a lottery of who does which show, and then you hang around and people practice and people juggle seven clubs in the background and you sit around mm. and you. we always used to go to Master's Diner, it's no longer there, sadly, in Covent Garden, and we'd all take turns to order breakfast so that we could legitimately occupy some of the <laughs> diner. It's probably why it closed down. And we'd all have our own specific kind of breakfast orders. And, and we'd just shoot the shit with each other. And it just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I struggle with, I love community. It's so important to me. But these days, between family and job, all the different portfolio of things, a podcast, the corporate, I, I speak to businesses about the climate and about resilience from the perspective of comedians, I do all these things. Mm-hmm. And, and so those, the hours are quite small for those, but you have to constantly be generating and working and connecting. Between all of that and the ADHD, I'd never just sit and lazily eat a, a full English breakfast over three hours whilst <laughs> talking to some of the most interesting people in my life. Yes. People with made-up names and who you don't know where they're from or what their story is. You just know their presence and their kind of commitment to this ludicrous walking between the raindrops kind of a job. Mm. I feel like I've been talking for 10 minutes, Michael. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely fabulous. I love watching street performers. It's very interesting to see people develop. I go to Covent Garden quite often, mm. so I often stop. But it's an extraordinary thing. Most of those people are going somewhere. Mm-hmm. They're on their way somewhere. Mm-hmm. And to stop them, make them stand there for 15 minutes and watch you do something is really impressive. Yeah. I always think yeah. it's an amazing thing. To hold an audience in that situation it takes extraordinary skill. And when you see someone who's not quite there yet, you know, I, I often, I just want to go and chat to them afterwards and say, do you know what, you had them to that point and you yeah. needed to get on with it then. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like you'd want to direct it. Yeah. But I love also that shared knowledge that all the people have. Those lines, like, you know, yeah. please give what you can, just take it out your pocket, fold it and put it in the bucket. Sure, you know, sure, sure. Those yeah. lines. Yeah. And I, I love seeing that, that it goes through them all. Yes, yes, it does. And it, uh, it's funny, actually. I saw a, a huge load of uh, dear street performer friends earlier this week. It was my friend's 20th wedding anniversary. Mm. And it was lovely. And we were all there and we were all old. It was great. <laughs> um, and um, they kind of renewed their vows and we all just sobbed for 20 minutes while they renewed their vows. <laughs> and I was just looking around going, God, I, lo- I just love this family. I just love it so, so much. Mm. There, like it's it's almost like um, it's not circus, but it's circus adjacent, and it and it's family, and it's kind of hustler adjacent and carny adjacent, and it's like yeah. little bits of all of these communities, and like in the kind of northern club comics of the fifties and sixties, where people would just steal and share jokes. They just go, oh, here's a page of jokes. Oh, I like that bit. There's the old joke about street performers where um, 
three street performers are sitting watching another street performer do a show and they say a new joke that's brilliant and one of them goes, oh, that's a good joke. And they turn to the person next to them and go, would you nick that? And they go, yeah. And they say to the third person, would you nick that? Yeah, well, it's generic then, isn't it? We can all use it. <laughs> we can all use it. It's fine. It's our yeah. property. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a lovely thing. And you're right. When you get the opportunity to do that sort of improv within comedy, mm. it's such an amazing feeling, isn't it? When you do, out of your head, come up with something. Yes. And you all remember them. I remember doing pantomime and just saying to people, hello, you know, where people come from. So I said, who's come the furthest today? And somebody said, uh, we're from Seattle. And I went, blimey, that's a long way. I thought, all the way from America. And then I said, have you seen a pantomime before? And they went, no. I said, oh, well, yeah, but you know all about pantomime, except there you call it a uh, presidential election. Yeah, lovely, yeah. <laughs> and you don't forget them. I mean, that must be 20 years ago, and I still remember yes. doing that line because of Fun- it. Funnily enough, funnily enough, you've just reminded me of something. From years ago, I must have been 15, 14 or 15, I saw a school play. I hated school, but I saw a school play, and someone forgot their lines. They were playing a vicar, and they knelt down with their hands together, steepled as in prayer, mm. and they forgot their lines line and they went prompt and someone in the wings said the line and then they got, got it got it and then they looked at the audience and they just said um communing with the lord <laughs> and, and I, it wasn't the world's best joke but i that for me i think that was a fundamental moment for me i'd forgotten all about that that i just kind of went i saw someone improvise and mm. the room woofed and yeah. i went oh what can you imagine if one day you'd be able to do that and the funny thing is as we sort of alluded to at the start when you've been in the game for as long as i have and i know you you're more senior than i in your experience but i think it's easy to forget how magical that moments those moments seem to your younger self that if you could you know it's, it's there's so much envy in in comedy and in my career for sure <laughs> you know there's there's so much sort of oh this person got that and that because your peers my peers turn up on youtube i cannot switch on the tv if i watch a bus go past got my mates faces on it you know it, it can really be damaging plumbers don't have to put up with that um it, it can really you know be it can be quite painful and actually if you could go back and say to your 14 year old self mate you're a comedian mm-hmm. you make people laugh for a job and you travel around the world and you you're not going to believe your luck no it's so important to remember that because it, it's so so easy to kind of fall out of it and go oh god i've got to play got to drive to nantwich later on i don't even know where that is you know and it, it becomes a pain in the arse mm. and it, 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 it shouldn't because you should keep trying to remind yourself to check back in with those that dream of, of the childhood you Absolutely. I had that conversation just yesterday with a friend of mine who was saying, you know, I look back on my career and think, oh, the opportunities I've missed and I made some bad decisions. And, and, and I said, but, but you did it. Yeah. You did do it, didn't you? We are both here now having done this for 40 years. Yeah. And that's amazing. I mean, it, exactly that thing of think of yourself as 15 and thinking yeah. I'd love to be one of those people, but I never will be. And here I am yeah. 40 years later and I still am. You've reminded me of an old, a bit from an old routine of mine about when I first discovered street performing when I was 16 years old and I felt like someone had opened a secret door in the universe and said, Psst, Stu, this way, never, never land through here. Yeah. And I said, oh, will I never grow up? And they said, you'll certainly never have a pension. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Well, let's take that precious bowler hat and put it into the time capsule for you. That's four things that you put in that you treasure. So we've got one to put in to bury and forget. Well, this is a bit weird now because it is a concept rather than an object. And I suppose if Mm -hmm. I thought hard, I could could come up with an object to represent it. No, no. Concepts are nice. It's 
it's having a bad memory. Mm-hmm. It's the concept of forgetting. It has plagued me my whole life. And as I... Like, it's it's funny, the format of this, the idea of putting things in a time capsule and, and burying something, like getting rid of something, mm-hmm. that is specifically the idea of burying something to get rid of it. That's not really a thing I do. And I was thinking, well, what would I bury? What would I get rid of? Because I'm very much of a sort of, I love folk tales and I love fairy stories and fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons and riddles, right? And as we know, you get a genie and you rub the lamp, what have you. The way around it is never ask for something for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise it always <laughs> yeah. gets you, or you know, or you, you, you know, the, the answer to the riddle is, is always sort of, you have to look inside, you know, the, the answer to life, I think is, is you have to let go. You have to let, you can't conquer death, right? In none of this stuff can you conquer death. It's all about acceptance. Mm. And I really think I really believe that. I honestly think if I was, you know, if I was granted a wish, I would go, oh, and you know, I'd know all the clever million wishes or Acaster's million genies, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I really think that I would, I fundamentally understand that in my bones is you have to let go of everything. So the idea of burying something is, is, you know, that feels like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. That's like, you know, mm-hmm. don't time travel. If you get the chance to time travel, don't do it. You'll fuck everything <laughs> up. Don't ever do it. Don't change anything. So, so funnily enough, in, in parallel with that somehow is the idea of I want to be able to preserve things, though, because I forget my life and I bimble through life untethered like a balloon bouncing along going sensations and experiences and my children's faces pressed against mine and oh this is what it smells like in New Zealand and all this wonderful stuff but I find it so hard to contact any of it and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that growing up because you don't know what the world looks like in anyone else's head until eventually I sort of started realizing everyone else seems to people keep reminding me of things I've done that I don't remember. And people keep going, Oh, it's like that time at school when blah, blah, blah. And I go, God, I haven't got that level of detail. I don't remember that at all. So, so I do think that, I mean, maybe this is my, I love to archetypalize. Maybe this is the the quest that I'm on, or maybe it's the just desserts, or maybe it's the price of living this wonderful life that I am happy to live Mm. is that you don't get to, you don't get to remember it. You know, you just kind of experience it and you sort of pulse like this weird organic mushroom and you go, whoa, that was life. Then whoa, like that. And then it goes and you have to let go of it. But if uh, I could... How lovely, though. Well, it is lovely and it is what you're supposed to think, but I want to hoard the memories, you know? But it does ring through things that we've spoken about over and over again. I mean, I immediately spring to mind the phrase, and onward, and on you go, mm. that we mentioned earlier. And the fact that you're saying, I've taken on a hobby because suddenly I realise the joy of just hanging out with people, yes. sitting in the cafe yes, and taking yeah, time over breakfast. Yes, although the Dungeons and Dragons, the, the hanging out, I have to put an incredible amount of work into it in order to be out. And it's a high-pressure performative situation. But it is, it's almost like, oh, there's enough. And again, I mean, the, the ADHD diagnosis was very recent, so this is happening to me a lot. I'm like, oh, yes, of course. Of course, I've found a way to be busy whilst relaxing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I relax yeah, in a very busy way. Mm-hmm. So maybe if I start the meds, as I might do soon, I might experiment with the medication. It just stimulates the like weak level dopamine release the whole time rather than being right. starved of it and desperate for new experiences. Maybe I'll find that I can not only sit in a bath, that'd be nice, <laughs> never managed to do that. Maybe I can play Dungeons and Dragons as a player without having uh. to be the mastermind that's constantly got six windows open on his computer and rolling dice and, you know, planning ahead mm-hmm. and improvising and stuff like that. I could just, yeah, I, yeah I, I seek that, that kind of mindfulness. But at the same time, through that interaction, and this is all that we've been doing, 
is that through this conversation with one person, you suddenly go, oh, my God, I think I've just remembered the moment that made me think, yes. oh, do you know what, that yes. is possible. And you hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So it's rather lovely, I think, that, that, yeah, let's get rid of the fact that you can't remember things. Yes. But in a way, you probably can. What you need to do is spend more time with people. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And I think, funnily enough, in a climate way, that's a hope for the climate kind of thing. Mm. Because if, at the moment... I've just created an office job for myself. It's all emails. It's all emails. Like, what am I doing? My job is I can do whatever I want. What do I want to do? Emails. I just want emails, apparently. I don't want them. So climate-wise, if there is a version of a, a climate apocalypse in the future, maybe there'll be fewer emails and more getting together in a field, mm-hmm. cutting some trees down, logging them and putting them into a fence with some friends. Yeah, lovely. Lovely. Stuart, thank you very much for telling me the things you want to put in a time capsule. It's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Thank you. And you. And you. I remember, do you remember the name of, do you remember in KYTV there was a sketch where it was a sort of, it was a whole episode's worth of behind the scenes at the making of a fake Dickens. Yes. Do you remember, do you remember the name of the character? David Chiselnut, I think. David Chiselnut, thank you. I've been using it as I've probably mentioned it twenty times on the podcast in the last eleven years. All of that <laughs> stuff. The scene where someone walks out of the door and the 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 extras have all been told by the director, David Chiselnut's going to walk out there. Some of you might recognise him. You might point or say his name to each other. And he walks out, and every single extra points and goes, "Oh look, it's David Chiselnut." That used to make me wet myself. I'm glad you like that episode. That's absolutely my favourite episode oh, that pleased. we ever did. Yeah, it's fabulous. My favourite joke in it was, I can't remember the name of the old actor who played it, but he was bloody brilliant, where he at one point said to the director, I, I was thinking, it says in the, in the script here that at one point he he enters with a cape on. Now, now, when I was a young man, a cape on was a small <laughs> young chicken. And I thought, maybe I could enter dressed as a chicken. <laughs> and he goes... Uh, maybe, yeah. No, it's an interesting idea. We'll, we'll, I'll think about it. And it doesn't happen. Now, right at the end of the programme, you see <laughs> the programme they've made. And at one point in the background, this actor walks out of a door in a chicken costume. Oh, and that's my favourite moment. That's great. That's great. Mm. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been a joy. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Stuart Goldsmith. Do try and catch him in Edinburgh if you get the chance. He's absolutely brilliant. Thanks for listening, particularly all the way to this bit. I know it's tempting to skip the outro, as we call it. I'm often tempted myself, and I'm the one who has to say it. Still, for anyone who likes to complete a thing properly, here it is. Please subscribe, rate, and maybe even review this podcast. It's really helpful to us and very much appreciated. We can't say thank you personally in case we try to insult you, of course. But believe me, we notice them all and are very grateful. Actually, if you copy and paste your review in Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you can send it to us there. That's both me and my time capsule, and you will get nothing but effusive praise and love from us in return unless it's a really rotten review. Or share the theme tune, which you'll find on Spotify. In fact, I may even do that myself. Thanks for helping me to think of it. It was composed and performed by Pass the Peas Music. And of course, if enough people download it, we may manage to get the Christmas number one. Not likely, I know, but stranger things have happened. And I quite fancy a second number one. If you don't know what I mean, Google me. 
This was a cast-off production for Acast, and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. Right, that's me done in the office, so uh, I think I'll pack everything up, pack my case, and I'll head off home. Ah, there's no place like home. That's what my gran used to say. <laughs> she was like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. <laughs> so in the end, we put her in one. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.